Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Today, we're talking about silence. And I think that's kind of ironic, right? Since we're talking about silence. Now, I'm the kind of person who loves silence. I can work in silence. I don't need music. I don't need sound. But I don't think I could do what our guest today has done. Dr. Bita Yadidi joined me for a conversation about a 10-day silent retreat that she took with the specific purpose of seeking healing, not just healing within. That's normally what I think about when I think about a, a silent meditation retreat. But she was seeking healing for a severely injured wrist. I met Bita a couple months ago through a mutual friend, Stacy Robbins, and I've been really impressed with her love for people and her desire to bring about healing to the world. And she does it through some very unique modalities. She's a California board certified licensed acupuncturist, a doctor of oriental medicine specializing in preventative medicine, a certified qigong, tai chi, and meditation instructor. She's also the founder of Wellness to Be, an East-West Integrative Wellness Center in Beverly Hills, California, where she and her team specialize in preventative and restorative health using acupuncture, cupping, moxibustion, infrared sauna, lab tests, herbal therapy, nutritional guidance, lifestyle coaching and counseling, and mind-body exercises. Not only do you have the opportunity to hear from her today about the healing power of silence, but she'll also be joining us for Inspiration Rising Live, our very first live podcast recording on September 12, 2019 in Orange County, California. If you want more information about that event and the other powerful female leaders that I have the opportunity to interview, check out our website, insporising.com slash live. That's insporising.com slash live. Now, as you listen to Beta describe this 10-day silent retreat, my guess is that you'll be saying something like, there's no possible way I could do this. And I'm with you, all right? The likelihood of me even taking a three-day silent retreat would be pretty slim. But I want us to ask the question, how can this conversation inspire us to integrate a bit of silence into our lives on a daily basis? Because I believe that question will serve us all quite well. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Bita Yadidi. Well, Bita, thank you so much for taking time to hang with me today. Thank you, David. So excited to be here and exchange some thoughts and experiences together. So tell us, why did you choose to go on a 10-day silent retreat, which sounds absolutely crazy to the average person? Why did you do this? Uh, good question. Everyone asks me, asks me that. But what happened was on August 1st of 2018, I had a really freak uh, accident and I cut my wrist with glass and two of my tendons and two of my nerves got fully lacerated on my right hand. So when that happened, I had about 80 stitches. And as you know, I'm an acupuncturist, doctor, healer, and I couldn't use my right hand. So I did what I knew best. So I did physical therapy three times a week. I did my acupuncture once a week. I took my supplements. I was doing my own kind of meditation, but I wasn't getting better. The hand was super swollen, super red, and extremely painful. Mm. And nothing was really getting better. So I did resort to Western medicine 
I had a few different <laughs> consults with orthopedic specialists and pain management doctors. So I went on two rounds of oral steroids. We did one set of injections on my right hand and still I was not getting better. So I asked the doctors, what's going on in the, in the Western world? And they said, you have a negative loop. Your body thinks that it's still on fight flight. So we've got the nervous system, we've got the parasympathetic, and we've got the sympathetic. So the fight flight mode is where healing doesn't happen. So my body is still on that mode. And then they offered me to get nerve blocks. And they said, once we get nerve blocks in there, then we can block the negative loop and healing can begin. So to make that a long intense. Really intense. And my background is all natural. For over 10 years, I try to stay completely away from synthetic drugs and trying to start the natural holistic approach. And if things don't get better, then I love integrating both worlds. So that's what I was doing, but still nothing was getting better. So after consulting with a pain management doctor, I asked a few questions and I came to the conclusion. I said, give me some time. Let me decide if I want to do the nerve blocks or let me come up with another idea. So I went into journaling and into meditation and I knew exactly what was going on with me. There was an emotional attachment to this injury of mine and I wasn't healing because my mindset and my emotions and my spirit was not healed, was not aligned. I was still in conflict, attached to the injury, impatient of getting better, and then attached to the identity crisis that this injury about. All I needed to do was get my nervous system into a state of rest and relaxation. So with that said, I asked myself, what is the best way for such a severe injury? I have to do something intense right away. And that is when I looked up dhamma.org. It's a Vipassana meditation retreat. If I can yeah. interrupt you here for a second, because this, you know, to somebody who is, I am not an aficionado of Eastern medicine. All right. You're saying you're, there's some sort of emotional connection to your wrist. And that's the reason why it's not healing. That sounds like total wackadoodle stuff to me. What are you talking about? Like it should just heal on its own. What, I mean, what's, what's the connection between emotion and your wrist not healing? Okay. So, um, we, I sincerely believe that the root of all disease comes from suppressed emotions because every, every, uh, organ system, every part of the body, it's all interconnected. And the emotion is energy and motion. And though it's connected to our spirit, if the energy is blocked, if we're, if the emotion is blocked, we're suppressing it, or we're not looking within, turning on the flashlight and saying, what's going on? What's the root cause? The emotion consists of your spirit. There's energy in Chinese medicine. Like for example, the heart, the emotion connected to heart is excess joy. Another one is like the lungs is connected to grief and sadness. So if you're dealing with grief and sadness and you don't approach the emotions first, you're not getting to the root cause. You're just band-aiding it. So you'll get better a little bit, but truly healing doesn't begin until you go and look within yourself and really be true and sincere with what's going on with me. 
Where am I? Where am I not wanting to see? Where are my attachments? Where are my fears? Where are my shadows? And if we don't put that work in, healing truly doesn't 100% happen. You're not going to see results. And uh, it's happened over and over again with my patients, with experiences. The minute the mind and the spirit become one, the body fully turns around. Mm. So, yeah. So you, so you said, okay, I know I need to get my mind and body aligned. Is that what you said? Yes. Mind and spirit? Mind and spirit yes. aligned. Yes. Forgetting what I need to align here. Mind, body, spirit. How about that? We just get all three in alignment. Yes. Yes. And you felt like there was a particular a, a potential of a retreat helping you do that. Yes. Because, only because since I had the disconnect and I knew in order for me to be able to have clarity and allow truth to arise, I needed a space that allowed me for quietude. And I wasn't able to do it here at home with two kids, a husband, a family, and work. So, and I wasn't getting better with all the Western and Eastern modalities. So my gut, my intuition, and and my knowledge, I just knew my wisdom. I need to find a silent meditation retreat. So what did, how, did, how did you go about choosing this location? Did yeah. You, so did you know it because of your background or? Yeah. So I had knew I had known about it and heard about it through a friend of mine who we went to acupuncture school together. She had gone to about three to four of these. Uh, and she had always shared it with me and said how amazing it is and how like she just loved it. And I didn't have time nor energy, physical energy or mental energy to do any research. I just went into prayer mode. And I said, if this is the right thing, it's going to open up for me. So let me go online and send an application because you need to send an application. It's not like you pay and you get in. It's free, but it's a huge wait list. Mm. So I did, I went online and I just said, I'm going to apply. I applied for the time that I wanted. I got denied. I didn't get in. They said we're full. What was the name so of that again? It's called dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org. And it's a, vipa- it's a technique called Vipassana meditation. And Vipassana has been handed down by Buddha. And it's a way to eliminate all pain and suffering. Not pain really, but eliminate all suffering. Okay. Okay. So, so you, you got all. denied. You got denied the first time. Yes. Because so of the timing. Yes. They said, I'm so sorry. This time we're full. You can apply for the next retreat. And the next retreat was mid-November around Thanksgiving time. And crazy because Thanksgiving time, I'm always hosting. I have family over. But again, I said, God, if it's meant to be, I feel this is the path. We're going to apply. If I get in, I'm going. And I did. I turned in an application again. And I waited and I got an answer right away that said, you have been accepted. Let's do it. So that's how it all started. There was no planning. There was no research. It just effortlessly opened up for me. Mm-hmm. So you show up the first day you arrive. What, what I mean, what is this? Where is this? What is it like? You know what yeah. I mean? Take us, take us visually through it. You're driving up to the place. I know you've got to feel nervous. I would be... Yeah. Maybe you were, yeah. maybe you were, I yeah. don't know, I'd be nervous. Uh, oh yeah, well, I'm going to share a little personal thing. So it was, it was in Northern California. So okay. I live in Los Angeles. I had to fly up to SF. It was right around when we had all the fires going on. So not the best air quality. 
Uh, and then from SF, I had to get my rent-a-car and drive three hours north past Napa Valley to get to this town called Kelseyville. So it's my first time actually doing something like this by myself. So got the rent-a-car, driving up, I have my navigation, I have the map, and David, I'm freaking out. The sun is setting, the road seems to be windy, it's getting pretty dark, and the craziness of fear, like, oh my God, what are you doing, Vita? This is crazy. I can't believe you're trusting this entire process. The, all those thoughts started coming through my mind as I'm getting closer to the destination. And with something wild just happened as this fear was about to just take all over me. And I was a second away to just say, forget this. I'm going back home. Immediately, I called all my guides, all my angels. And I said, I'm calling all my guides, all my angels. We're here together moving forward to what is truly meant for me. So even the drive to this place was heart-wrenching for me and very difficult. But the minute I got there, I parked my car. I'll never forget. We walked into this beautiful, beautiful space, uh, redwood trees, cabins, beautiful leaves all on the floor. And once I did my registration, they gave me my cabin number and I went into my cabin with a roommate. The minute you walked into the cabin, silence had began. So I wasn't even really able to speak to my roommate. No way. Yeah. So if you want to speak, you were supposed to show up between 5 and 7 p.m. Silence began at 7 p.m. You were late. I was late. I got in at like 6. Did you write a note? Like, hey, here's my name. Here's like, here's who I am. Please don't like, he please yeah. don't like mug me while we're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> I called frantically. I'm like, I'm running late. I'm almost there. They said, no problem. I was just able to speak to the head facilitator. He gave me a, a little paper of the rules and regulations. And that's it. You went into your cabin. It's a small little room, super simple, two either bunk beds or two small twin beds. You unpack your stuff. And no phone, no journals, no pens, no books, no magazine, no television, no music, nothing. It's you in a room with a stranger. And now you have a... Can you keep your clothes on? (laughs) Can you keep your clothes on, right? Good question. Gosh, it sounds like they're taking away everything from you. (laughs) Everything. All it is, it's you, your clothes, and just being you. That's it with a schedule. And the schedule was hardcore crazy. You had to wake up either, if you wanted, from 3 to uh, three to 5 a.m. in your own room to meditate, or 5 to 7 a.m. in your own room. But what really happened was 6.30, the gong would hit. You would have to be at breakfast rounds from 6.30 to 7.15. Then 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. was mandatory meditation. Then you could continue meditation in the meditation hall, or you would go back to your room and meditate. Then again, you would have second meal at 11 or 12 o'clock. And then after that, again, meditation at two to five, then go back into your room and rest or meditate. Then again, come back for evening meditation from like six to 9 p.m. Is this guided meditation or it's just like total silence? 
it's total silence. And the way it worked is so the first day, forget first, first day, the next morning, you walked into the meditation hall. And what I found myself was it's, it's called, uh, you can't even smile at a person next to you. You can't even nod at the person next to you. You can't even like wave hello. So the first morning when I woke up and I was heading to breakfast, I found myself automatically smiling, automatically wanting to nod and wave. And I had to catch myself and stop myself from doing that because it's breaking the noble silence rule. So I realized as the days went by, we work. I'm a person that I was on automatic pilot all the time without being aware that I'm constantly doing things without really understanding that I'm doing this. It's just your robot, automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. So the first aha moment for me already began at breakfast time, not even at meditation yet, where it was like, oh, B, you know, you can't even just be you. Then second aha moment was when you go into the meditation hall, women sit on the left, on one side, men on the other, you have two facilitators and you sit in your, on your little meditation chair or cushion that they've appointed you. And the facilitator basically says meditation has begun. And then there's a recording and the recording is from uh, master Goenka, the original teacher from Dhamma.org. And he walks you through a recording teaching you what we need to do. So you listen to the recording and then recording stops and now you're meditating. And the meditation was a twofold. The first two days, they taught you to simply focus on top of your lip and this part, this triangle right here. And all you needed to do- And for those for those who are uh, can't see us, it's the triangle kind of from the bridge of your nose down to the top of your lip. Like a triangle. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Like a triangle. And mm-hmm. all, all this technique, all they wanted you to do was just be an observer of any sensations in that area. So if your breath was shallow, it was shallow. If it was deep, it was deep. We're not altering what our natural state is. We are just observing. So for two days, we were doing that, which was called anapana. That's the meditation technique, anapana, focusing on the sensation of breath, air coming out of your right nostril, going into your left. Coming for two out of, days. For two days, David, on a minimum, I was meditating eight hours a day. You really so, know your nose now. Like you've got a real tight relationship with your nose. Real tight relationship. And it's... <laughs> Very tight relationship, sensations that I never thought I would be experiencing. And what's the point of that? What's the reasoning behind that? So the re- it's it's for an agitated mind, and for one is to discipline the mind, calm the agitation down, and thirdly to develop your sense to be able to figure out those sensations. Okay, right. So you don't go straight into the other kind of meditation, Vipassana, without first calming your mind, disciplining your mind, creating patience, being able to pick up on those sensations that you would never think you had. And what was really cool about this technique throughout the entire 10 days, you're not allowed to react to those sensations. So if you got an itch, 
right above your lips, you're not allowed to take your finger and itch it. If you got an itch on the back of your neck during this process, you're not going to itch it. If you want to turn your head and circle it, you're not. So you're not reacting to any sensation. All of your learning is to be able to become an observer and practice the law of nature that nothing is permanent. Everything has ebbs and flows. And if you just focus, this and observe, this shall pass as well. So it also really tests your patience, your tolerance, your reactivity to things. So for the first two days, that's all I did. David, I was exhausted. You would think if you're sitting on your butt eight hours a day and sleeping in between, you should have massive amount of energy. I was wiped out by 9 p.m. the first two days. I'll never forget. I walked from the meditation hall into my cabin area, opened my bedroom door. I collapsed onto my bed with the same clothes, just collapsed. And I realized that's how much energy one needs to use to be able to process and clear and move things around. Mm. So it was the first two days I did have this incredible excitement. I was super looking forward to it. I was embracing everything that was coming my way, but I couldn't believe, one, I was so exhausted, and two, I was not hungry because they only feed you, by the way, two meals a day. Your last meal is at 12 p.m. So there is no more food till the next morning. I'm assuming at this kind of place, it's like bark and sticks and moss or something like that that they're feeding you, right? (laughs) Right. Actually, they're feeding you really yummy vegetarian food. Okay. Nothing fancy, but amazing food. Really good. Uh, you High cannot put a- organic moss. Really good stuff. <laughs> Really good stuff. (laughs) I don't know about high quality, but definitely organic. (laughs) But, um, and what I also appreciate, you got to remember this retreat center is all simple simplicity. There is no candles. There is no incense. There is no Buddha out there, no religion or faith or anything that you may say like, ah, I don't feel comfortable. Complete neutrality because it really is not about religion or faith or following away. It's all about how do you tap into your well, your inner being to begin to clear the suffering that the mind has actually created for you. So it's all about mindset. Before we continue our conversation, I want to encourage you to subscribe and listen to this podcast on your smartphone. Your phone comes preloaded with either the Apple Podcast or Google Podcast app, Open it up, search for Inspiration Rising, and click subscribe. Also, be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or even Twitter. Our username is the same on all the platforms, Inspo Rising. That's I-N-S-P-O-R-I-S-I-N-G. All right, back to our conversation with Dr. Bita Yadidi. So day three, four, five, six, it's, it's slowly things, emotions are coming up sensations are happening. We've moved from the Anapana to Vipassana. Vipassana, basically you scan from head to toe, toe to head, observing all the sensations that possibly are arising. And if it's not arising, you don't get attached to it. You basically say, I'll try again. 
and you continue to scan. So you're just scanning head to toe, toe to head constantly for hours and hours. And you're waiting for a sensation, some sort of sensation. Is it It uh, emotional, physical, both? It could be anything, but we're we are strictly really observing physical sensations. So, is there buzzing? Is there heat? Okay. Okay. Is there heaviness? Is there okay. cold? Right. And again, you are not allowed to react. And then the third thing they taught you was there's three ways we cause suffering to ourselves, and the three ways is aversions, cravings, and ignorance. Aversions, cravings, cravings, and ignorance. ignorance. Okay. That's the three ways so, we experience suffering. Yes. And what does he mean by that? Buddha believed, which he's super enlightened, he believed that aversions, what is that? I hate this. I hate you. I hate that food. I hate doing this. When we go to an extreme of hate, it is self-induced suffering. Hmm. And simultaneously, if we go to the other extreme of cravings, oh, I love you. Oh, I love this food. Oh, I love this sensation. Oh, I love everything. You're also creating suffering. Why? Because both of those extremes, you're going to a place of attachments. Mm. Now I really am loving this meditation sensation. Therefore, now I want it and I want more of it. So you're creating an attachment, which now takes you away from the present moment of experiencing now. So the technique that you're doing day three, day four, day five, all the way till day 10, you are disciplining your mind because as you're scanning head to toe, toe to head, you begin to develop or cultivate or feel these sensations and you're loving. There was a moment where I'm like, oh my God, my entire body is buzzing. I love this feeling. But immediately I remind, I I was able to catch the mind and say, oh, I got to be in a state of neutrality. Just observe that this is a sensation and the law of nature. It is, it's here now and it is going to go. But Mm -hmm. if I, if I attach to, I want this sensation again and again, Mm -hmm. now I'm self-inducing suffering. Mm Because what if I don't find that sensation again? Now what happens? Right. So right. aversions, cravings, and what was the third one? And ignorance, ignorance. not knowing. Okay. Ignorance, not knowing, not educating, not experiencing. Okay. okay. Right. So this technique of Vipassana, you, you were training yourself to sit still and simultaneously just being able to accept what is at this moment. And we did this for 10 whole days. Day three, day four, day five was pretty good for me. Not bad. Energy started coming. But I must tell you, by day six, I was like, oh, my God, get me out of this space. Get me out of this room. I want to I want to see people. I want to talk. And most frustrating for me was I love journaling and I wasn't able to journal because I had all these aha moments and I'm not allowed to journal. So it was really letting go of all my attachments, letting go of, well, when I have aha moments, I need to write. Well, oh my God, it's, oh, one of the biggest things that happened for me, it was raining day six, seven, and eight. Well, before Vipassana, I had this attachment to rain. I had this story that when it rains, energetically and emotionally, I go a little bit down. 
So I become slightly melancholy. I want to go home. I want to turn on my fireplace. And I want to have my hot chocolate or my glass of wine. For me, I had that attachment when the weather got cold and it started raining. So rain was not something I looked forward to. Now, here I am on day six, seven, eight. It's raining. I don't have my fireplace. I don't have my wine. I don't have anything that is comfort for me. So what do I do? How do I, how do I navigate through this emotional, mental process? So I continued doing the meditation technique. That's all I could do. Because the only thing that you can do if you didn't want to meditate was walk the grounds. So there was a trail that you could walk in nature. So there would be moments that I was like, I can't meditate anymore. I'm either falling asleep or I'm exhausted or this is just too much. I need a break. So after the the mandatory one hour in the three seatings, I would sometimes remove myself, go in my room, take a little nap. Then after the nap, I would go for a walk to just connect in nature and be outdoors. Mm -hmm. And that's, that helped me. I don't know what happened. I can't even explain it. It's something so experiential, but that aversion and craving with the rain that I was having, it disappeared. By day three, I was actually fine. And Mm -hmm. well, we'll get to it later, but the whole point of all of this that you're doing here is not to go home and go back to your old habits is how do I integrate what I learned, what I experienced, what I sense into your everyday life. Mm -hmm. So what was really cool, one of the things I know we're flipping, but one of the things when I returned back from Kelseyville back home, three days later, we started having like a rain, like major rain, four days of flood. And first time ever, David, Everybody in my family was like, oh, I hate the rain. This sucks. I want to go back home. I was like, oh, this is totally fine. Let's move on with our day. I have no cravings or aversions. This is insanity. Wow. Right? So it it was really cool. But to go back to those days, another thing that was huge for me, on day seven, I walked into my room and my roommate, her backpack, her clothes, her bag was all wrapped up in a corner and she was in there. And I got hit again with a set of emotions. I don't know my roommate, but when you live with somebody, even if you're not speaking to them in that silence, there is so much voice and you connect, there's energy, you get attached And when I walked in and I didn't see her there and I saw her bag and everything closed up, like basically she's leaving, my heart fell into my gut. And I was able to observe what are these feelings about? Am I dealing with feeling of rejection? Am I feeling with attachment? Am I feeling with uh, safety? Does Bita feel more comfortable having a partner next to her, even if it's a stranger? Does Bita feel rejected? And I went through all these thoughts. I was like, oh my God, did I do something wrong? Does she not like me? Was I stinky? Did I snore? What did I do? You know, it was all about me. And <laughs> don't we always do that? You know, we're oh, always yeah, thinking it's me. You know, so um, what happened was I wasn't able to really speak to her, but I got a note from her that she wrote, um, 
I was dealing with some anxiety attacks. I was asked that it's best for me to leave. So she left. And I was like, oh my God, none of this was about me. And what was going on with her? What was happening? So that was another aha moment where you walk in with a stranger, but look at all those attachments that I had. And the mind to be able to have have that uh, insight and to be able to hear how the mind is processing Mm -hmm. and how destructive or constructive it can be. But for a second, it was destructive, right? Mm -hmm. I was questioning me, which honestly had no direct connection to the outcome of what was happening. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was able to discern, wow, look how the mind can go in two different routes, positive, Mm -hmm. negative, Mm -hmm. uh, constructive, destructive. Okay, I was all alone now. So it was a whole different experience for me. I was really lucky because I experienced having a roommate and I was experienced having not a roommate in silence and how and what happens there. So day seven, I was super lonely. I felt like, oh my God, I have nobody in my room. Even though we never talked, there was I, I wanted a buddy there. So I was dealing with emotions of loneliness and just allowing for those feelings to arise and let it go. Then I also, for a second, well, not for a second, for a whole day, when it was time to go back to the meditation hall, it was about 10 feet, right, from my cabin to the meditation hall. As I'm walking, to the left of me is the gate, then the highway, and behind that highway are lands and lands of farm, right? So as I'm walking parallel towards this uh, meditation retreat for a second I said to myself am I a prisoner is this how prisoners are is this how they feel that I feel I'm locked up and that's the world outside of here there was that moment of who is truly a prisoner of this world Hmm. and and my response was The people who are not experiencing what I'm experiencing are the prisoners to their life. Mm. It was this liberation, this freedom that actually I was so free that I didn't have any obligations. I didn't have any attachments. I didn't need to hurry up and answer every freaking text that comes through, every question, every phone call. For the first time, you were 100% being you. Just being, breathing, feeling like it was, again, there are no words to describe mm-hmm. the experience that I went through. It's very challenging. You'll begin to understand it when you experience it. Mm-hmm. But it was really, really amazing, life-changing. And again, to go back to the purpose, the reason why I right. went there. Right. Uh, Within two days, I forgot to tell you this, doing just the breathing meditation, not even the scanning, within two days, my right wrist and palm of my hand, all of the redness and inflammation completely subsided, David. Hmm. It was gone. Gone. Day three and all the way through day 10, I was finally able to rotate my wrist with no pain. I had better extension. I had better flexibility. I had flexion. I had no more pain. So here I am. I went in with just the intention of clearing this pain. And second, by clearing it was not only physical, but also my emotions. I 
was having a hard time touching my right wrist. I couldn't put my left palm of my hand over my right wrist and just give it some self-healing attention it needed. I wasn't even able to touch it because there was so much aversion to it. Mm. But in that meditation retreat, when I was in my room and I was resting, I would put my left hand onto my right wrist and I would say, I love you, Bita. You are enough. I forgive you. And so on and so forth. Whatever else that was going on with this wrist. Mm -hmm. So there was not only I'm sitting in silence, disciplining my mind, cultivating sensations, learning how to not react, but simultaneously my heart opened up and I remembered who I was again. That's what this retreat was really all about. I remembered who I was all these months and years, you know, debris goes on you. And here I am, I'm a healer doing all the work that I'm always doing, but there are still areas in us that we're not able to see mm-hmm. until we do create that space of silence and quietude. So your inner truth, that voice that is constantly talking to you, but because the you're so scattered and you're so busy, you're not able to hear. But mm. this space finally allowed me to hear my truth, allowed me to see the divinity that resides in all of us, allowed me to just come from this place of pure love and pure bliss. That's how the healing began. Would you say it's a hundred percent healed now or like, you know what I mean? Like how, how is, how is it functioning? So it's 90% healed. I have zero pain from the day I went to Vipassana till this day, which is November will be a year. I have zero pain. The only challenge that I'm having is I can't fully extend it back because I've developed a lot of scar tissue. So Mm. it's, I got to break that scar tissue. So I'm working with my acupuncturist and doing my healing work at the office, but I'm back at working. I'm back at doing uh, healing work. I'm back at exercising. I'm back to normal way of life where the doctors had told me this will not get healed minimum minimum for a year and you won't be able to heal it unless you do take these nerve blocks and steroids. That is amazing. Amazing. It was really cool. And it was like, you know what? I've studied this. I've been treating people with this. I knew it. But now it was like, I got to live it for me and see really how real is this. And all I can tell you is if God forbid I get sick physically before I lock my, I not lock, I take myself into a hospital, I will be doing this Vipassana meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. Because not only is it silence, but you're also, you're thinking about food, also nutrition. You're eating a plant-based diet now and you're eliminating animal protein. So when you are sick, when your body needs to heal, nutrition plays a huge role. So it's like, you've got the nutrition, you've got the mindset, you've got the meditation, you've got the spirit. It's the entirety of your beingness that really takes you to that place of true healing versus isolation. How have you taken these principles back into your daily life over the last year? So the first like couple months, I was super disciplined and I meditated every morning and every night for one hour. 
But after, yeah, one hour, when you think like an hour is crazy, which prior to Vipassana, I would meditate for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. I'm like, God, this is so long. But now an hour is nothing. Like if I meditate for 30 minutes, it's like, whoa, time just went by. So one is I've become a lot more disciplined in my meditation rituals every morning and night, but not seven days a week on an average three to five days a week. I don't do it every night now, but I do it at least one seating a day, one seating within three to five days. That's first. So it's given me that discipline to show up for myself, to not forget who I am. It is all about like, how do you show up for yourself? You know, and if, if you're expecting others to show up differently for you, if you're not showing up the way you want to for yourself, how can you manifest the life or relationships that you want from others? Mm. So one, it's my self-worth, my self-value, my self-honoring me mm-hmm. sitting on my meditation. Two, I really not, not per, I don't look for perfection anymore. I look for progress, but um, I'm not as reactive as I used to be. So when things surface up and come up for me, I'm able to take note, I'm able to pause and I'm able to see, oh, there's the hate or there's the excess love in there. And there's where I'm going to get in trouble. And I'm also going to get the other people in trouble because it's, I'm, I'm projecting that energy to them too. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to develop better relationships with others. I've been able to develop more clarity with who I am, separating the ego, separating the aversions and being really true to who I am. And, uh, and if I can't meditate, because of this technique, the very first one I told you about, mm-hmm. uh, Anapana, I'll go right back. I'll go right back into just doing my breathing. If I'm stressed, if I had a really tough day, I'll just in the car, in the office, in between patients, even if I'm lying down in bed and I don't have the energy to meditate, I'll just focus my entire energy on right next to my nostrils above my lips in that triangle and I just reconnect to my breath. It's powerful, powerful. So if somebody was interested in incorporating silence or meditation in their life, you know, but it feels like, okay, this feels almost impossible. I've got kids running around or, you know, I've got work all day. I've got my phone going off. I can't go to a 10 day silent retreat. How would you suggest that they kind of begin this process for themselves? So I would suggest that they can carve out five, to start with five minutes. If you're brand new, just carve out five minutes. We usually say, let's start in the morning and at nighttime, but for, I've gone through this path. So I'll even say, forget morning, noon, or night. You pick a time that works for you. Commit to that time daily, five minutes a day, let's say at 11 a.m., 7 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever works in your schedule, but commit to it. And it's hard because if we're busy, you need so instead of just saying, okay, I'll do it, calendar it in, put it on your iPhone and get yourself a reminder that I need to meditate. So you just start five minutes a day and be realistic. If you can't do seven, do five. If you can't do five, do three. Just start. Because I really believe in the compounding effect. It's not an all or nothing. Just start two times a week and do five minutes of just focusing on your breath. 
without wanting to inhale deeply or exhale or changing your breath. Just begin to become observant of your breath above your lip, under your nostrils, and just stay with that. Just see, close your eyes, put your timer for five minutes, and just observe your breath and see if you pick up any sensations. And if you don't, you try again next time. Again, you practice that technique of, I'm not going to be attached to my meditation either. So if I don't sense something, I don't sense anything. Mm -hmm. If I'm beginning to feel heat, oh, there's heat coming. So you're just observing with no attachment. Mm -hmm. I would start, I always say start as simple as five minutes a day, something that's realistic for you and work, work your way into progress. Ultimately, five to seven days. Ultimately, one hour. I don't think one hour twice a day, everybody can do. So I would say work your way to one hour, five days a week. That's pretty, pretty sufficient, in my opinion. That is intense. So, An hour, five days, a, five days a week. That's going to be your. That's you're, intense. Yeah, you're going to be basically a monk then at that point. You're a verified monk. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So we're getting, we're getting there, right? We're getting there. All right. So <laughs> if people, uh, I want to make sure that people check out your website, which is wellness to be.com wellness and then T O B E.com. And you are available for people. Obviously you can consult with people all over the world via video, but, uh, people in Southern California that are having health issues. Um, what are the resources that you can provide them? So we practice, we do acupuncture in here. We do nutritional counseling. I do lifestyle coaching. I'm a, I do Tai Chi meditation and Qigong. We also have a detox protocol and we do half day or whole day retreats that are all based. Really, our expertise is preventative medicine. So how can we maintain our health or take our health to the next level? And with a focus of um, emotion, any, anything and everything, but mostly emotions, anxiety, and mostly targeted towards ladies for half day retreats or full day retreats. And I know you have those coming up periodically. And so as people are listening throughout, you know, what, no matter if you're listening, you know, when this comes out immediately or a year from now, uh, you can go to wellness to be.com and you can check out the resources that Beta has available for half day retreats, full day retreats, and even, um, one-on-one coaching that would be available to you in traditional counseling, no matter where you live in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then if you're here, come on in for a nice wellness treatment and we do acupuncture, we do cupping, we've got an infrared sauna. So it's really targeting the mind, body, spirit, and soul on a very alternative, holistic healing modality but infused with functional medicine. So if you need nutraceuticals, if you need a nutritional layout, we've got it all for you. We've got a, three doctors working with us and they're all amazing doctors. So um, yeah. Vita, thank you so much for taking time to just hang with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. It was awesome sharing this with you and looking forward to uh, the next one in September. Be sure to learn about Dr. Vita's work at wellness2be.com. And she often hosts many retreats at her wellness center in Beverly Hills. And you can learn all about those by following Wellness to Be on Facebook and Instagram. All of those links are in our show notes. If you want to swipe up on your phone, you can find those now or on our website at insporising.com. 
Now, if you live in Southern California or you want to fly in for the event like one of our listeners, we would love to have you join us for Inspiration Rising Live on Thursday, September 12th, 2019 in Orange County, California. I'll be interviewing four female leaders about topics on which they are all experts. Stacey Robbins, Dr. Bita Yadidi, Kim D. Allen, and Andrea Luna-Reese. You need to be at this event. They have words of wisdom that will impact your life. You will walk away being inspired, and you'll love having the opportunity to connect and collaborate with other Inspiration Rising listeners. Tickets are only $20 each, and the first 100 ticket buyers receive a pretty fancy swag bag with all kinds of goodies. So get your tickets at insporising.com slash live. That's insporising.com slash live. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next time.